Adam, did you want to jump in? Uh, well, I was just going to ask, how, how did the whole hurricane thing go, Seth? Well, I'm in, like, the shoelace part of the boot, and this went straight up the heel. So, for me, it went great. Mm-hmm. Kind did of. you lose power or anything? We lost power for an hour and a half, maybe. Oh, that's which not bad at all. the most exciting yeah, part was I had decided, because Sarah woke up at 10, and I was like, okay, I should make us brunch. We should do like French toast and some sausage with some like a little bit of onion, even though she doesn't like caramelized onion. But that's my fault. What? Anyways, I won't. I won't judge. I won't. I won't judge her on the podcast. So I was making my sausages, and they were about ready. And I had already soaked the bread in the like egg custard mixture, and I was like, okay, we're cooking now. I just need to toss these on the pan. I'll have French toast in like two minutes. It'll be fine. And then the power went out. It started like flickering. And I was like, okay, the sausage, I'm just going to toss a lid on and it'll be fine. But my only option was to start the grill outside because I have a gas grill. And then I took a cast iron skillet. So I made French toast on the grill. Nice. Yeah. So it was... It was an interesting experience, but that was the most eventful part of my like hurricane experience. Gotcha, gotcha. What about well, you I'm guys? Glad all three of us are are fine, and we feel for everybody who was affected by it. It looks pretty bad over there in some places of Louisiana and Texas. Yes, there's um, I have an adult student that I teach Saturday mornings, and she says like ten going across to Texas is just crazy right now, and she's one of the engineers for the power companies here. So mm-hmm. she's been like on call and prepping all week to try to get it ready. And she came into her lesson this morning and was like, I just need an hour of not dealing with this. It's like, yeah, all right, I, I can give you an hour of not dealing with that. <laughs> all right. But today we've got a debate episode. We do another one. It's finally Seth did one. I did one. So lo and behold, it is Livy's turn to host the debate. Yeah, it is. The she's gonna reigning champion. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll <laughs> uh, introduce my idea for the debate. So, so far, Seth moderated our first debate, and it was... Uh, it was pretty broad. Was it it didn't really have theories. a... It was just yeah, Seth's yeah. questions he came up with. Adam hosted the second, moderated it. It was pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I struggled to come up with questions that weren't pedagogy, And so what I ended up doing was going to our favorite, our slash music theory. No, you didn't. And I've gone through some of the top posts. Oh, no. (laughs) I've taken some, not not the exact questions that people ask, but like concepts that I thought were debatable concepts. Did you you see the the top post on on our slash music theory ever? I think it's still the top one. I definitely... I definitely pages of top posts, but I couldn't tell you what the top one is. Yeah. The one post on there that I will stand by as being like great is the one about discovering Mixolydian Sharp Seven. I love that. There was two that were like that. That, that one's so great. funny. Yes. Other than that though, man, that's a Well I have a swamp. Yeah, I have kind of a mixture of questions here. Some of them I think are actually interesting questions. Some of them are I have a couple that are a little trolly. Um, we'll see if I thread those in or not. Um, it might be hard to actually debate those. And then there's a couple that I think just we don't ask ourselves these questions. These are from non-theorists on our slash music theory for the most part. And so it's just interesting mm-hmm. to think about this these perspectives. So that being said, I'm looking at my list of questions, thinking about which one I want to start off with. Okay, so I'm going to... Okay, I found the one I'm going to start with. You guys ready? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Seth, I wish you the best of luck, but (laughs) we'll see. I was going to say, if people listen to the um, draft episode, which they should, I feel like it's pretty easy to pick up on. Like, I'm just poking the bear the whole time (laughs) during that episode. (laughs) So I don't wish you luck, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my question... And again, these are just like general concepts that people posed on r slash music theory that I have rephrased into kind of actual questions. So number one, 
does learning music theory change the way you listen to music, whether you want it to or not? Does my question make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Just making sure. Um, Seth, I'm gonna, I, I will, I'll be the the bigger man and let you pick which side <laughs> you want. Wow. I. So the problem is, I I feel like I have an answer, but I don't even know what side I'm coming down on. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the weird. I mean, I think there's only one. A- I think there's only one answer, but I can argue either. Oh, maybe Adam should start then. Yeah. Oh, but I thought it'd be more fun to argue the the other one. <laughs> um, the question is: Does music theory change the way you listen to music, whether you want it to or not? Correct. Yes. Um. Then sure. All right. I'll start. The answer is yes. Obviously. <laughs> Understanding what's happening in the music completely 100% changes how you listen to music and how you perceive the music. Having the tools to describe what is happening in the music gives you the ability to talk about it and engage with it in a way that you previously had not. I'll give you I'll give you a, a very specific example is that I I don't really prefer a lot of like R&B music for whatever reason, especially like in the like mid to late nineties, kind of early two thousands, there's some there was this harmony in there that I just don't like. I've never liked it. It just makes uh, it's just it's gross. It's gross. I don't. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I and I I couldn't describe it for the longest time until one day, like I sat down and I was looking at one of those songs and I looked up what the chords were and I played it out and I figured out exactly what it is that that bothers me about it. And Livy, you're gonna hate this, but I found out that. Major seventh <laughs> chords moving like a third away, like with a median relationship. Ugh, just cannot stand it. Like awful. Um, the, specific, the song that I was, the song that I did this with was uh, American Boy. I think it's Estelle. Is that her name? It's the one that's got Kanye on it. It's like a featured verse. <laughs> um, and it's it goes from like E major seven to like C major seven and. Ugh, it's just the worst. But anyway, for the longest, for years, I didn't have the tools to describe it. I just knew I don't like this sound. And now that I've studied theory, now that I know about chords, now that I know about ear training, I have the ability to to talk about it, to figure that out. As far as the whether you want it to or not, just knowing, yeah, I mean, knowledge changes perception. If you know something different about a situation or an experience, it changes how you perceive it. It changes how you engage with it. And so whether I want it to or not, my brain knows things about theory. So if I'm consciously trying to understand a song or if I'm just passively listening to it, I'm going to pick up and notice things with different levels of detail and complexity, but I'm going to notice and discover things like that. I was listening to a song recently that has a really weird uh, key change in the middle of the chorus. And just by listening to it, whether I could tell you exactly what key it went to, I knew the reason it sounded weird is because it went to a a non-closely related key. (laughs) I just knew that. And I was mostly passively listening to it. So yes, I 100% believe, that was a long-winded answer, but I 100% believe that knowing music theory does change the way you listen to music, whether you want it to or not. Point well made. Okay, so Seth. I just, like... I get what you're saying, but I I think I'm on the other side of it. It doesn't unless unless you're a freshman in college and you learn basic theory for the first time ever. And then you want to say that you understand all classical music because you hear ones and fives now. Like, I, I just don't think it's true because for me, yeah, I. I hear some more things, but I think there's constantly things that I'm amazed by or just interested in. And I'm not, there's not an immediate like, oh, here's the theoretical answer for it of what I'm talking about. It's just, I'm listening to it. And I would say I listen to trashy music all the time. That's not like theoretically thought out and intricate and all the stuff. And like, I love that music all the time, but I'm not thinking, oh, this is just a song based on one, four, five, and six. Like, I'm just experiencing the music and enjoying, like, knowing more theory doesn't take away from how I was experiencing it before. And I would say that Adam kind of got to this point that knowing theory can only enhance your musical experience, not take away from it. So that. You know, I'm kind of with him that it does 
like it lets you go deeper into what you notice, but it doesn't change anything about what the way I was listening to it originally, because most of the time it's just having something on and enjoying the music. But I, well, I think the other thing is like music theory has always been a way for me to understand what I was interested in, opposed to Adam trying to figure out what he was annoyed by. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so that like um, the Scott Joplin song uh, Bethana or Bethina, I I haven't heard it pronounced by anybody other than me, so I'm happily. I've heard it both ways. I think I've told you it both ways. <laughs> Um, but, uh, with that one, there's something really magical about the opening, like, phrase, and it was always hard for me to figure out why I liked it so much, but then, um, I was looking at it one day, and I figured out that what's happening is, it's like he's emphasizing scale degree two melodically, and so there's this expectation that like two should hang in the air over scale degree one. And so that the from the first chord, you might expect two to resolve down to one, but it, it doesn't. It carries over into the next chord. And then the tendency tone there, I don't have the score in front of me, but basically it's like two gets suspended through a series of chords and then eventually resolves down to one. And it was like, oh, that is why that's part of like the magic of that moment is all of these things working together. Yeah, but it didn't change just because I figured it out didn't all of a sudden make that moment not special. If that makes sense. But that's sense. definitely not, that's that's not what I'm arguing at all. I think your experience of listening to the music stays the same if not becomes enhanced by knowing what's happening. Yeah, but the but, experience of listening is still the same. Yeah, but wasn't the question, doesn't your like perspective change? It was, does it change the way sure. you listen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the way you listen is very vague, and I, I certainly <laughs> was not trying to detract from the experience of listening. Like that, It doesn't change the things that you like about the music. It changes the way that you engage with it. So I don't know if this is going to completely change answers hopefully not it's just going to be clarifying but when i read that and i was thinking about how you might debate it um i guess kind of where my mind went is when you know no music theory you're often just completely passively listening to listening um when you learn the theory there's a lot more active listening that you can do purposefully but is there some level of active listening that happens whether you're trying to or not is kind of and that's what i was mm -hmm. saying yes okay like like if, even if I'm passively listening you could stop me and ask me what like functioned family accord fits into like was that a tonic a predominant or a dominant and I would be able to tell you even if I was passively listening because I know that and I recognize that sound and it's not super complicated to to recognize that sound in, a, in any sort of music you know like if it's a, a song with a cycle of chords I can tell you where in the cycle we are and that's not something that like a lay person, like the average listener would have the ability to describe but and talk about. It kind of does change know? the experience slightly because whether you're trying to or not, you do recognize things and then you think about them. So you're right. But it, it certainly doesn't change my feelings of the song or the experience that I'm having with the music. Yes. The things that it makes me it feel. It doesn't change like your reaction to it. It's just the active versus passive nature yes. of how you're listening. And if I were actively listening, I could tell you okay. what scale degree we're on. I could tell you what chord we're on, things like that. I'm just saying like, even if you're passively mm -hmm. listening, you're going to pick up on things that normal people don't. And that's just going to happen. So gotcha. I guess with all of that being said, like I, I can generally have a much deeper listening of music from the classical period of time because I'm more engaged with that theory because that's predominantly what we have taught and were taught in undergrad. And don't get me wrong, I like things from the more contemporary 20th century, but sometimes they're harder to follow orally. Again, you could still experience it, but as far as listening and understanding, like, I can't listen and know that a tone row is unfolding or something. But 
I guess. Okay, but serial music has to be the exception, though, because yeah, all serial music sounds the same. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I say that as somebody who is concentrated mostly in serial music. Like, no, I, I'm with you there. Okay, only, I, I wasn't very, very trained can can recognize what's happening in a serial piece. Yeah, I wasn't gonna argue in that direction. I was just bringing it oh, up. Okay. So that I guess my my question it would be like for the much later romantic, um, more impressionistic. I'm thinking more in the WC realm or maybe even the Ives kind of realm. For me, it's easier to stay engaged with that and focus the whole time. And that seems to be further away from all of the theory that I necessarily know. And it's not necessarily that it's more like interesting or anything. I, I don't know. I feel with like um, these grand sonatas and symphonies and all these other things that are masterworks. I feel like I just end up, even when I'm trying to be an active listener and I know the cool things that might be happening, at some point, I and we've kind of talked about it, the idea of a topic or a style where it's just you're so used to this is what it sounds like that I I almost get sucked into it of yeah this is just what's gonna happen um i don't two things i don't know how that helps my point at all (laughs) that's what i was thinking (laughs) two things one i just want to clarify that all of my argument um has been exclusively talking about pop music like listening to modern pop music or pop music the last 20 years or whatever i have not been thinking about classical music Uh, i certainly wasn't thinking about like 20th century impressionistic or serial music um, so I'm not I'm not just talking about classical music. In fact, I pretty much wasn't not on purpose. I just I just wasn't. Okay. Uh, both of my examples came from from pop music. And secondly, I would say that there are things that I would instantly recognize in the in the impressionistic music because I know theory. You know, just some of the basic stuff that we talked about in like our our 20th century unit. Like whether I'm whether I'm actively listening or not. Even passive listening, I could tell you that like, oh, hey, that's that's planing, or hey, that's like a, a whole a whole tone scale, or hey, that's chordal harmony. You know, like yeah, I mean, and those are I, things that the normal listener wouldn't be able to recognize. But I'm going to even on a passive level because I know about it. Yeah, okay, the planing thing, like I get. Um, I wouldn't know where it was planing to, but I don't, I don't really see how that would help you even if you knew like hey we're gonna be planing just major seconds like i don't know how that would help you i guess but like does just recognizing that that's what it is does that actually change anything for you and i i don't think that for me it it changes it that much i think i think perceiving it is a change going from not recognizing to recognizing is the change yeah, but then, and again, this is moving away from the pop music that you were talking about, but even if you recognize the change, it's like, I mean, cool, but did that change anything about the piece other than you were like, oh, I know how they did this? No. Yeah, and so... I, but that is, but that is a change. That is a difference. Yeah, I just... Hmm. Like, inherently, going from one state to another state, is a change. If I don't have knowledge of chordal harmony and I'm listening to WC, I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds nice. And yet somehow different from classical music. Guess I'll never know. But then if I've studied it and I understand the, the things that WC does specifically different from classical, like the previous eras of classical music, I'll say, ah, yes, I recognize this technique or this feature. And the, I might still enjoy the song the exact same way, but the, the change is inherently that I can recognize stuff like that. To me, that's a significant enough of a change to qualify. I was going to say, if <laughs> I feel like we've, I feel like we've settled on your final points, which is that Adam feels like recognizing is a change. Seth says, maybe it's not, maybe it's just recognizing and that's not an actual change in the way yeah. you listen. And I feel like I kind of got both of your processes of how you got to that point. Do you guys want to make any other points before I render? Um, I guess no, I'm, I'm thrilled to see how I get robbed out of this one, though. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess that if the premise was, does having new information mean that things changed? If that was the question, then I feel like it's a yes. But but that is that is like 
Oh, I agree. Information changes perception. That creates a change for for anything. I'm not denying it. I agree with you. I just didn't realize that it was going to be that simplistic. Well, it doesn't have to be. The question was vague. (laughs) So you got to a more complex answer, which is, yeah, you change, but the experience is indifferent of the actual listening and the reaction. So I feel like you both have valid stances. Well, I don't. So what I'm, <laughs> what I am determining, and I actually forgot that I had to pick a winner until Seth started talking, and I panicked because um, I was like, "Oh shoot, I forgot that I need to be listening to these critically." Um, I was just going to ask a question and let y'all go, and I'm also having a really hard time fighting my own bias to the end. To this it's answer, it's hard. It's, it's hard. harder than I expected. Yeah. Yeah, I've done. Um, I've played this game before. It's it's not fun. So I'm going to go purely based off just. The argument that was made and its convincingness, which I'm going to award to Adam. Yes. I'm sorry, Seth. Finally. No, that's okay. I mean, I don't think my stance of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like your your stance was hard to explain and you kind of circled around to it. But the reason I was having trouble was because my, I know I'm not in the debate, but my reaction to this question is that it doesn't change the way I listen. It changes the way I um, can talk about it. To me, music theory is all about language. And so I listen the same. It's just if I want to express what I hear, the language has changed. And so I was actually kind of more leaning towards Seth's side. But it's a really hard side to actually argue convincing, convincingly. And Adam, you did a really good job being convincing. Good job, Adam. Why, thank you. That it does we change. We all support that, you here. So. I, I I feel like I I feel like I did earn some points the first time we did this when I wasn't hosting, but it's been so long that I can't remember, and I just feel like I got robbed on a bunch of those, and so this this is just feels nice, you know. Well, I, I mean, as the brief break in the action before round two, like when you were asking the questions, it was funny how many times Livia and I were like, "No, Adam, this is the answer." Yeah, congrats, Adam. But that that was only question one. So. It's true. I'm, I'm. I promise. I'm not popping off early. I'm. I'm just. You know. I'm just happy with the way that turned out. <laughs> so that was kind of my most like philosophical question. I think that would have been hardest to debate. So good news is that I think it's going to be easier to argue from here. Now I have to decide what my second question should be. I do have to pick an odd number though, huh? So that we have a winner. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, you could just yeah. wait it. Just get to question okay, question four and be like, you know what? Question two is really worth <laughs> two points. This is for all or, of the marbles. I mean, one of us might just start running away with it, so then odd-numbered <laughs> questions wouldn't really be necessary. Okay, so this wow. one is a really fun question, I think. So okay. we're going to go from philosophical to just fun. Hopefully this isn't too heavy. I thought it was a fun question. I know that there's like kind of like a real answer for this, but I'm hoping you guys don't actually know the exact history, and you can just kind of give me your imagined answers which is, if we didn't have a visual staff, what's your intuitive description for high and low notes? Because high and low kind of reference this visual nature of them being on a staff. But if you're just hearing them, how would you describe them? Wait, this is a perception thing, not a notation thing? No, not notation. It's just purely like the language, because we call Ah. notes high and low, but... I could be wrong, but that seems to kind of refer to like a high note. She's is sneaking in a pedagogy higher question. Higher on the vertical. It's not pedagogy. I just think it's fun. Like, how do you describe a high note as not as something besides high? I think there's a few clear answers, but I feel like you should each come to your picks independently, and then <laughs> my my understanding of it is, which I have to have for because I teach a wide range of kit like. I taught a seven-year-old a day. I teach like fourth through sixth grade. I teach high schoolers. And there's a lot of asking them questions and knowing that what they're trying to tell you, they just don't have the vocabulary yet to be able to say Mm -hmm. what they're thinking. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. discredit what they're thinking. Like they're having valid thoughts. And so you kind of have to process all of what what did you what's true about what you said and how can i relate it mm-hmm. to what we actually say vocabulary wise and so that yeah. a lot of times uh they'll say like their understanding of low is soft and their mm-hmm. understanding of 
or sorry, like they will call what we say are high notes, low notes, because they are softer notes. <laughs> um, oh, meaning, and so that to me, that goes back to the overtone series that a lower pitched note has more overtones available because the fundamentals lower and there's the series above it is much wider. Whereas the higher you get, you have a much thinner sound. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think of that. It's a very physical thing of your bass end notes are thicker, mm-hmm. whereas your higher notes are thinner. Okay, so if we had to pick two adjectives instead of high and low, you would go with thicker and thinner? Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, Adam. <laughs> okay, I guess I have two. I have one and I have a backup. Okay. I was going to use weight. Mm-hmm. heavier and lighter mm-hmm. is that do you think that is um different differentiated enough from thicker and thinner they could be the same answers i don't care just i'm figuring out who convinces me better does that make sense so oh. yeah convince me of heavier well and i guess and my hesitancy is already a, a knock against me <laughs> no 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 i'm just like man um, seth's answer was pretty good what uh what are some <laughs> synonyms right quick no, I had that before you started talking, but I knew you had to go first this round. Come on now. And mine's not linked to the overtone scale, but... We we go back okay. and listen to the podcast on Friday and just hear a bunch of clicking. <laughs> Furiously as you're Googling synonyms for thick and thin. <laughs> um, all right, hold on. Now I'm trying to think which one I want to use. Because I have that, but in case it's too similar, now I'm thinking about my backup. Just go with what you know. Follow your heart. Or, as it is a music podcast, follow your ear. Um, okay, I'm going to throw, I'm going to dismiss my backup because it also has a visual component to it, not from okay. a notated source, but it is still a visual reference. And in order to keep the, the question pure, I, I won't do that one. Um, okay. So I am going to go with heavier and lighter okay. as my two adjectives. I think that the. That's sort of what I also teach children now, recently. <laughs> um, and that's one of the ways that I talk about it with them. Mm. Is that the notes, like the deep, low notes are like larger in some way as if they possess more weight. And the higher notes are smaller and lighter as if they are coming from a smaller source. Uh, because I feel like that's a very concrete uh, sort of example that the the kids can think about makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. but I I think it to me the whether it's weight, whether it's thinking of thick and thin, or that it all relates to like if you just look at the piano, that visually the strings on the bass end are longer and thicker, whereas the top ones are thinner and shorter. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I don't That's know how we true. could explain it without the overtone series of understanding that part of the reason this resonates so much and feels so much weightier is because it's resonating the whole everything above it, whereas something on the top end isn't resonating everything below it. Yeah. And so that, I mean, I've never answer. I've never talked about the overtone series in a in a piano lesson before. I don't, I don't feel like that would be very helpful to like a young kid. <laughs> yeah, it, it's to me, I like it because uh, in the studio we have a grand and so that it is a good visual representation. But, yes. um, you know, in some ways you could see a little bit of it with the guitar with like the uh, top E string is a thicker string than the bottom E string, which is a very thin string. And so that like students could feel that difference as well as being able to hear it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you can go with like a lot of directions if you're thinking visual, which I guess is why my question was specifically not visual, like just your ear, how you hear notes. What's the best description for low and high. And I feel like they're both, both of your answers are good. And they can relate to visual, but they don't have to. Yeah, I think there's also, mm-hmm. Adam, you may not be thinking um, the overtone series just because as a tuba player or a low brass player, 
the overtone series is very important to us because of That's how true. the partials line up on the instrument. Whereas the piano as your primary instrument is just, yeah, I sit down and like, I'm yeah, playing I got all it. the notes, baby. Yeah, man. I just play the bugle <laughs> just octave <laughs> fifths and then thirds. I feel like I have thoughts. You guys ready to hear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think I, Agree with Seth. Yes. Going yeah, thicker and thinner I here. I did it. I figured. Um, Adam, I would totally use yours. And honestly, I feel like if I was like in front of an ensemble, I would use those terms before thicker and thinner. But I think that like heavier and lighter can change in different contexts. Yep. Like ensemble, like the actual instrument, um, like... You know, and it can depend on, like, the actual dynamics you're playing and stuff like that. Whereas, to me, like, thicker and thinner. I think that for most timbres, a high end is just thinner. Like, that resonates with me. So, not the best explanation of why, but I, I'm going to lean towards Seth. No, that that's fair. And, like I said, I really was thinking about weight when you asked the question. And mm-hmm. it's such it's so close to weight that Seth and I were mm-hmm. making a very similar argument. In fact, I had to catch myself. Oh, for sure. And be very careful not to accidentally, like, approve his his, <laughs> his argument because... Well, they were very there's close. A, there's a lot of overlap. In fact, yeah. I knew I was toast on this question um, <laughs> when I remembered that on Thursday, I, sh- I have it upright in my studio, so I can't show them the strings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did show a kid on Thursday a guitar and show them how some of the strings were thicker than the other strings, and <laughs> yeah. that's also how a piano worked. And so as soon as Seth said that, I was like, well, all right, I'm, this, this one's over. <laughs> I've done the things that he's head, describing. I, again, not in the debate, but like, I couldn't come up with a good low word, but for me, high was bright. Well, that's the one I was like, going to use, was darker the top and brighter. Head. You see, yeah. I was going to ask, then, how the, would that have changed? Because in band stuff Livy we use dark and light all the time mm-hmm. yeah and that can change in different circumstances but like the one right. word that as soon as I read this question on reddit I was like okay so high notes are brighter and I couldn't really but then really if you're playing like with, a lot of stuff in yeah. minor up high we're also going to describe like the minor stuff as being darker than major mm-hmm. not necessarily sad but darker yeah the you fact know? So that we like, already use those terms makes it a lot more confusing yeah. that, was, that was my backup was dark and mm-hmm. light yeah. Um, but it's still related to like a visual thing. Like I was trying to think if I was explaining it to somebody who didn't have vision, you know, like a blind person. Yeah. Well, then dark and light's also not going to be super helpful. <laughs> that's true. Um, and and we use those terms for other things already. And that's why I, I retired it as my as my backup. You could say like more and less piercing. Not mm-hmm. that like a medium note is going to be like piercing, but as it gets higher and higher, it gets more piercing. But I don't know. Yes. I you could go all day with this, but okay. Yeah, point I to set. Kid, I had a kid <laughs> play an example in the wrong octave last week, and it was over FaceTime, and it was just like, yeah. meh, 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 meh. <laughs> it was awful. I hated it. And I was like, hey, can you play that in the right octave so my ears don't die? <laughs> also, so you're reading the music correctly, but mostly for my ears. <laughs> Look, so yeah, for me. Like that happens, it feels like all the time in virtual lessons. There's also some level of like, okay, don't know that I'm gonna fight that one that much. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like, okay, <laughs> not gonna belabor the point, but let's. Scoot, that octave was also closer down. to the camera, so I asked him, "Did you do that so I can <laughs> see better? Because you can't read music." <laughs> <laughs> I hope this was a high school student. <laughs> I didn't say it exactly like that, no. <laughs> but that was what I was thinking. I was like, how do I ask him if he can read music without being rude? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are one to one. Going are. into question number three. Um, so this one is a yes or no. And. <laughs> Speed round. Um, <laughs> no, I want some discussion. Don't just give me a yes or a no. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've already buzzed it. <laughs> because <laughs> then I'll just purely <laughs> go off of what I agree with. <laughs> um, I don't know how easy either of these sides will be to debate, to be honest, but this was, I thought, an interesting question, and then I was actually asking my um, some of my friends from undergrad whether they had suggestions for this also, 
And um, my friend Aaron proposed a question that's pretty similar. So I feel like I have to ask it. Okay. The way it was asked on Reddit, is music theory a developing science or has everything been solved already? And kind of what they were asking is, are people still actively discovering new things? Like, is anything really kind of big actually developing in music theory? Or are we still just kind of like circulating the same ideas? Does that make sense? Yes. I want, I want, wait, I want the one that new things are coming up. I want that one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Seth, you have to argue that we're just recirculating the same ideas, basically. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I think believe that I wrote my thesis on something that's never been done before. So there. <laughs> <laughs> I well, created. We've all written our theses on original ideas. I feel like you got to give me more. <laughs> I'm a creationist. Right. We all wrote our theses on original <laughs> ideas. So there again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good point. <laughs> I feel like your argument is like, well, the world kept turning. <laughs> like, um, no, I, if we're, arg- if I'm arguing the point of, like, everything's already been done, I, I think the thing, it, there's not a new theory that we can have without new music, because it's all based on what has happened. And so, I think, to Adam's point of, we're just making up new things, Um, that's not true that it has to be based on the music. And so, yes, are we probably getting close to done talking about what happened in the classical period? Sure. But that helps inform how we talk about the rest of it. And again, that's not to say that like common practice period music is superior in any way it's just where a lot of here's how you could describe and understand these sounds comes from um but there are plenty of ways that like that's it's just kind of set in stuff even with um oh is it elements of sonata uh by darcy and hippikowski am i remembering that book correctly I don't know the title, but sure. I think it's Elements <laughs> of Sonata. There is a book by them. Yeah, so that in this book they went through thousands of sonatas or hundreds. I don't know the number, but they went through a lot of sonatas and listed here's all the different ways that sonata form could be broken down, but it still goes back to here was the basic sonata form. If you understand that, you could explain a lot of these other sonatas. And so it was new information. I don't know that it changed the old information that much. Similar to we could have something new come up and no, I don't I don't see how you could change how we analyze serial music currently. You could mix in some other things, but I think you're you would just be mixing in theories that are already proven and exist, not that you're creating some brand new idea. I think I think the main thing that we have to address and we have to clear up, and this is I think this is pretty much inherent to the question. So this might not be something to clear up, but this might be just closer to the heart of the question: is our new applications, new theory, or are they still repetitions of the old because if we're going to say that new if we're going to say that new applications are not technically like quote new theories then yeah we're going to be stuck on this one Livy, you don't have to speak definitively to that i'm just saying that that's the i just think that that is like a point that you have to make as the person saying yes there are new discoveries happening i think you have to make the point of how applying is okay yeah totally fair yeah right yeah um i think that not in every case. I mean, maybe not in the Sonata case, like Seth brought up. But, you know, again, in, in my thesis, I made an application that doesn't really happen in the kind of music that I that I worked with. But secondly, and I think this might be more of a, I think this might be more of a slam dunk, if I may boast. <laughs> um, Seth said that the only way that we get new theories is if we get new music. And I would point out that new music is being composed every day. 
and therefore to engage with and process that music, of course, new theories are going to come up. Yeah, but okay, let's go look at um, like planning, like we talked about from some of the late 1800s, early 1900s, that that wasn't really something new, like they would have just called it, yes, these are a series of major chords in a row. The same way that um, when we were in 19th century analysis, that at one point our professor just said, yeah, you can just call this linear chromaticism. Like, we agree there are a series of chords here and what's going on, and it might be contrapuntal in some nature, but there's not a set like, this is what it is. So that... I think my thing is... Like, so you're saying that Debussy wasn't very creative? Is that really where you want to make a stand right here? <laughs> no, he, he was very creative, but I'm saying that the theory of what happened is just, yes, it's a series of major chords in a row used yeah, in a so new way. Yeah, so then he just wasn't different enough. He just wasn't different enough. <laughs> but lots of new different music comes out. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's... Like you, can find tra- you can find transitional stuff anywhere. But new things do happen and do do get released and published and composed. Yeah, but how many of the those way that we things... talk about electronic music? The way we talk about electronic music of like the last generation, completely different than how we'd ever been able to talk about music before. The way that people are having to analyze rap music now, completely different than how we've ever talked about music before. Like that happens, just because you want to point to like a transitional or a edge case or a, a filthy centrist <laughs> uh, doesn't ma- mean that those other things don't happen. Yeah, but. Okay, what what are we really saying in new rap music that we couldn't have said with the old terminology before? I don't know. Read a thesis. <laughs> but you were <laughs> the one making the point. <laughs> no, I don't have a comprehensive glossary right now. I'm just saying. I also I that was more the, the out of curiosity. Of like, the not of music, like the foundation of the music, like with the samples and everything, is so fundamentally different from how other types of music have been composed that you, we need a new way to process and talk about it. Part of the way I didn't write about rap music is because I was going to have to do some of that work of figuring out like how do I talk about sampling as a, as a form of composition. But is it like the material that's being used is new, but. Is that actually a new phenomenon of, hey, we're just going to use this one section over and over and then over time possibly manipulate it in different ways? Or, Well, well then so, I think that it is different. I just haven't written the paper yet. Like, Yeah, but I guess what would be the like difference? You're, say, you're saying that it's impossible for there to be a new theory until you see the research on it. And maybe the research just hasn't been done yet. Kind of. My, <laughs> you're, you're like including all research has ever been done saying, yep, we did it. That was it. Forgetting the fact that at some point in history, new things were invented and created. Okay. In my defense. But you're making a stand for the canonization of all the theory we have right now is the end. Even though they would have said that in 1600 in and my, then in 1800 wait, and then on. in 1900. Isn't that what I was supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm. You pointing out the flaw in it. You took the stance of, we've got new theories all the time, but so that so now so now your argument is well I'm only arguing this way because it's a bad position which means I think I win. No 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 no, because <laughs> you don't win because the thing that you I'm going to say you were saying even though you weren't saying the thing that you were saying was that we can come up with this new stuff and like one day it'll be true but. We know that the theories come after the work so that until there is like this new work that we have no way of explaining, we won't need a new theory. And my point was... But that will happen. I mean, it might. That always happens. No, it always happens. But again, this goes back to just because we we came up with a new word like planning to describe what Debussy was doing... It didn't change the fact that we knew that it was just a series of like major chords or, you know, like we knew that's what it was. And I'm saying Debussy wasn't radical enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fine. He got kicked out of, of you know, the the conservatory for no reason. They were just cowards. Viva la France. I'm out. That's all I got. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I'm going to award this point to Seth. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> um, what I'm, on earth? Adam, you there started no out. Way. <laughs> Adam, you started out really strong, but I was just very compelled. I feel like Seth was able to really poke holes in your argument when he asked you for specific examples and you were like, I don't know, go find them. <laughs> <laughs> like that just of um, what is the new research I'm that I'm certain that we could make something up. We just research? haven't done it yet. Well, I was disappointed that you didn't talk about like musical forces <laughs> or anything. Like I didn't re- I didn't do the research for the questions. Well, I'm afraid that that cost you a point. Okay. <laughs> that, this is unbelievable. But, this is an outrage. But on a serious note, I do have a question of like as far as sampling goes, don't get me wrong, we have new like terms for it, but on some level, wouldn't it be the same as taking, whether it's a little phrase or even something as just basic as like a one chord, wouldn't it be the same as a composer back then taking that idea and just using it again and again, and then once they got to like a development, spinning it out the same way that a producer or... Um, whether it's a hip hop artist or a rap artist now might like decide, you know what? I want to space these beats like a little bit longer, or I want to cut it a little bit shorter and like shorten the sample to get a different effect. Isn't that still related in some way? I think no, but I haven't written the paper yet. So come on. (laughs) But I get, wouldn't it be the same like augmentation or diminution that we find and the that other music, I think that uh, I think that sampling is different in both intention and meaning. Okay, the meaning, which I, the might, meaning which I might can still get just seem like a cop out, but that's that's where I'm at. No, no, no. The meaning I can get behind because, especially if there's words in the sample that. Now that you're cutting and splicing in different ways, you would shift what like they're literally saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I get that. that. Which is again like how sort of how I want to like take a narrative approach to to rap production and sampling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I so that I just haven't done all that work yet. <laughs> like one one thought that because I, I needed a new way to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thought that I've had before is that it's not like my my idea is not that, oh, they're not doing anything different. Therefore, it's not as good. My thought is more of what the podcast is about. And Adam made a great comment about this at the end of the last podcast while I wasn't paying attention, apparently, um, (laughs) that all things really are on the same plane and like there are very similar things that happen between something that was written in the 1990s and something that was written in the 1600s like there's a lot more in common and we can use terminology to talk about all of those things than there are things that are really different also in my personal opinion things written in the 1990s are generally better than things in the 1600s I was going to disagree with you until you said 1600s, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's what hooked you? In which case, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't like the 90s. I don't like a lot of 90s music. I mean, we could go 2000s. Also, did you say you were listening to, like, 90s Kanye? No. 90s R&B. Oh, it was 90s R&B. There was an R&B song that has Kanye on it, but I I meant broadly the sound, the sort of like 90s and 2000s R&B has. But, okay, but that Kanye thing, was it in the 90s or early 2000s? It was in the early 2000s. I think 2008, 2010. Okay. Well, it was just funny because I had like Jesus Walks stuck in my head all week for some reason. And so... 2004, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it was just it was funny that you were like yeah i was listening to this and i was like yeah i was listening to this other Kanye song <laughs> okay but ba- back to the debate i'm outraged i'll just I, that's all i have to say is i am outraged i just had to bring up kanye okay. to pacify adam a little bit no adam, it's not gonna, gonna work especially right now you... talking about kanye now that's gonna make me less upset Are you kidding me adam to to um try and make up for that i'll let you pick the direction for the fourth question because i know the fifth one for sure 
But so for the fourth question, I have a few options. Um, one of them is just ridiculous. It's like one of the trollier questions that I pulled off of the subreddit. Uh-huh. Don't know how y'all would debate it, but if you want one that's goofy, that's an option. There's another one that's just kind of like a real question. And then there's another one that is also like a real question, but I think one of the sides might be harder to debate than the other. Hmm. Is the troll question, is it bad if I only compose an A minor? <laughs> that is not the troll question, no. Oh, okay. but that's, that's also one of my favorite posts on the subreddit. Speaking of... Uh, I saw that one, too. Did you guys watch yeah. Spinal Tap? No, I, I need watched to. watched it. So that... Adam, I thought that you were there at that movie night. I was at the movie night where we watched it. Yeah. No, I had to work. I was still working oh. nights when that happened. So Because that... that was our first year, right? Mm-hmm. I... I think yeah. it was the um, yeah it was the draft episode. We really missed an opportunity to hook uh, Doctor Brumbelow back in with making the comment. With the identical. We, no, 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 no. I mean that too. But <laughs> that's not Spinal Tap. Sorry, that's just what I think of when I think about jokes with Doctor Brumbelow. No, no, no. I was telling somebody at Groove House about that because they know him. Mm-hmm. Well, one of his favorite lines from Spinal Tap is, "Yes, D minor is the saddest chord of all." <laughs> And so we should have put our number one chord is D minor. (laughs) Yes. Missed opportunities. Oh, well. Hey, everybody. Adam here. You know the drill. You're going to have to check in next week to find out the conclusion to this episode of Let's Argue. Score is currently Seth 2, Adam 1. So uh, check in next Friday and find out what's going on there. Uh, apologies for taking a break last week. We should have communicated that better, a.k.a. at all. Uh, we just needed to take a little bit of a break. We got kind of backed up. But we have some great episodes coming down the line for you. The rest of Let's Argue. Uh, we recorded an episode where we're going to talk about some of our previous thesis ideas. And I've got a fun episode that I'm kind of working on as a spinoff that I'm very excited to get to. Uh, so keep keep posted here at the RSOT space. Um, and we'll see you soon. 